Amen. Those promises are true. And he is here with us today. Aren't you grateful already for what he's done here in our presence? Amen, me too. And it's just a reminder that God's ways are not our ways. And he will use what he chooses in our life for us to experience his greatness and in ways that we would never expect. And for that reason, we have to bring our ways and have them bow down at him. Amen? I've got to bring my logic, my understanding, my opinion, my feelings, the way I'd want it to play out. I have to bring all of that and bring it to bow before the King of Kings so that I might understand his ways. Because if I don't, then I might miss what he's about, what he's doing in my life. Because he is at work. He's present right here in this room. His word is alive. His spirit is here. And he is speaking. He's already speaking right now. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. And I have to tune my ears and tune my heart and bow my knee to him in order to hear him. If I don't, then I might miss him. Just as so many did when he came as a baby. When he came as a savior. And he walked among the people. And many missed him because he would not or they would not bow their knee of their heart and logic and mind to him. Now, the Bible tells us that he, his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And he uses the unexpected. So in our mini series here, Unexpected Jesus, we've been talking about how he shows up in unexpected ways in our life. So for example, we saw how he chose a young couple who lived in the city of Nazareth to be the ones who would be how he would come to earth. Unexpected. We saw how he unexpectedly came as a baby when he could have come in so many ways. He could have come as judge, but he came as a child. We saw how he chose to come through a virgin. Unexpected ways. We saw how the angels appeared to shepherds and how he would be born in a stable his bo- as a baby placed into a manger. Unexpected Jesus. Today, we're going to look at one more element of the story. There's so many parts of the story that are unexpected, but I want us to really drill down into the city of Bethlehem. And understand this, that Bethlehem was the least likely to succeed when it came to places that God would choose to have the Savior of the world, the King of all creation, born. Now, I don't know about you, um, when I was in high school, there was a section in the yearbook, by the way, I have my 1978 Sunset Sundial yearbook right here. How about that? Antique, right? Any other Sunset alumni, graduates? I know there's some Oak Cliff people. Yes, ma'am. 
I know some Oak Cliff people in the room who went to other schools like Kimball, South Oak Cliff, Roosevelt, some of those. We won't talk about them. Sunset High School, I was there for two years, and inside the yearbook was a section where you found the best all-around senior boy and the best all-around senior girl. There they were. They got a full page. How about that? It's black and white back in the day, though. There weren't many color pages back in the day. And then the most handsome senior boy, the most beautiful senior girl, the friendliest senior boy, and the friendliest senior girl. And then the most talented senior boy, the most talented senior girl, the wittiest senior boy, and the wittiest senior girl. It was a whole section. I don't think they even do this in your books anymore. Oh, it goes on. Senior boy most likely to succeed. Senior girl most likely to succeed. I have no idea whether they did or not. Best all-around junior boy. Oh, we're not through yet. Best all-around junior girl. Best all-around sophomore boy. Best all-around sophomore girl. Best all-around freshman boy. Best all-around freshman girl. I was a freshman, and I didn't make the page. I wasn't on there. I just wasn't there. And if that wasn't enough, then there's a couple of pages or more of the favorite runners-up. Those who didn't quite make it, but man, they got, a, they got a little picture in here, you know? The most beautiful, the most handsome, but not as good as these folks. Yeah, you see why they don't do that anymore in your books. I'm sure if uh, the cities in Israel had a yearbook, and in it were gonna be the places most likely for the king to come from, Bethlehem would not have had a page they would not have been on the map. They would not have been the place that anybody would have picked for the king to be born. But it was that place. It was the least likely, not the most likely. No one expected or suspected that the king would be born there. Now, there were some that knew. The wise men knew. Uh, the priest knew. How did they know? Because they had read the Old Testament. They had read God's word, and in the book of Micah, it talks about that the king would be born and come out of Bethlehem. That's a pretty big deal. Nobody would have expected it, but God's word said it. That's why it's always important to believe God's word over what everybody else says. Amen? Because what he says is what is true and what will come to pass. And so, even when Herod is wondering, where is this king going to be born? They quoted, the scribes quoted the book of Micah. And we're going to look at that verse today. Micah 5.2. So it's in the Old Testament. It's in the Minor Prophets section. You can flip there. And follow along, we're going to look at one verse today. If you've got a Bible app, you can follow along there or you can follow on screen. Feel free to use your phone today to take pictures of screen or the board. We're going to do some board work today. So, Micah 5.2 is the, is the verse that foretold where Jesus would be born. And here's what it says. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one 
to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. So in God's yearbook, Bethlehem was the place. Not most likely to, but exactly would be the place that the king would be born. And the scripture is very specific. God was very specific with Micah in this verse. Now, this falls in a, uh, the writing of Micah, this prophet in the Old Testament. And this is some 700 years before Jesus would be born. This is a long time. 700 years and God speaks and says this is what's going to happen. He will be born in Bethlehem. And the ruler of all creation would come forth from this place. Not just any king, not just a, a human ruler, but the one who's going forth are from of old, from everlasting. This is the son of God. So as we look at the context here, we're going to kind of lay this out for us today so that we can understand why Micah would write this and the significance of the fact that Bethlehem would be chosen for the place that the king would be born. Now, again, uh, Micah is writing at a time when Israel is divided. There's a conflict in the nation. Uh, there's two sides. There's two perspectives. And there's division, physical division, and there's real conflict with the north and the south. And the nation as a whole, both sides, have become immoral, godless, have started following after idols. They've carried on some religion, but their religion is separate from their life. They would do religious things, but it had little to do with how they lived their life. It was just an add-on, a compartment, a checkbox. And this caused lots of problems, of course, in the nation. It caused um, justice to be perverted. Micah describes how the judges of the day could be easily bribed to make a decision that the money wanted them to make. Have we ever seen that before? Where justice is perverted, where things are turned upside down, and all of a sudden justice is no longer about what's right and what's wrong, but whatever group is shouting the loudest about who, how they want their way? This was happening in Micah's day. Uh, crime was on the increase. The social classes were spreading apart. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And the rich were the ruling class and they just managed to get their way and they took advantage of the poor. So there's all kind of turmoil going on. And with that, those who were involved in the priesthood, the ministers, they were greedy. And they were all about the money. And so they preached in order to get more money. Can you imagine preachers doing that? This sounds real familiar, doesn't it? This was all happening in Micah's day. And so as a result, judgment is happening on the nation. Things are not going well. So let's just do some board work here. Because it's a time of rebellion. The people of God are rebelling against the ways of God and they are paying a price for it. Justice 
is perverted. Priests are wicked. Crime is escalating. There is idolatry. There's conflict. And they are godless. Oh, they have a name that says we've come from God. They have an entire heritage that belongs to them, but they are walking in rebellion to all of that. And it is destroying the land. Now, Micah writes in the book and describes all of that and says that as a result, judgment is coming on the land. And this follows a flow that you find with the prophets where they call out very specific sins, but then they remind the people that the God who made them and the God who called them is the God who will save them if they will repent. Because God keeps his covenant with his people. And in spite of their rebellion, there could still be hope if they would repent. And so Micah also writes about a time of restoration. And you find this with a lot of the prophets where they write about a time to come, a time in which there would be revival, a time in which there would be hope filling the land once again, a time when there would be healing and a time when they would actually be victorious in battle. Because you see what was also happening at this time with all of this rebellion, God was going to allow a foreign nation to come in and take over until the people of God repented of their sin. This is a very common theme with the ways of God. This is what has me concerned in our day that God will continue to allow the consequences of our sin as a nation to, to roll on to the point that if we do not repent as a nation, then a foreign entity will come, it's a, it's a pattern throughout scripture, that will bring the disciplined hand of God upon our nation. It's critical that we be a people as a whole who repent. And this is the message of Micah. There's a, there's a foreign nation coming who will attack and Micah names them and they will bring judgment. But if you will repent, there will be victory. There will be righteousness once again that will come and he even goes so far as to say there's coming a day when Israel will be the center that people will come to for truth. People will come to Israel to say, we want to know the ways of God. God would so restore them that they would be held up, lifted up to be a light, to be salt, to be the place that shows the truth of God. This is a very common theme 
in Scripture. It rolls throughout the Old Testament and it applies even in the New Testament for today. This is critical while we understand God's ways. I mean, uh, Micah uses pictures like the Lord coming as a shepherd to shepherd and lead his people as a flock to be the ruler in this kingdom. And this is where Isaiah, I keep saying Isaiah, this is where Micah 5.2 comes in because out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will restore the glory that belongs to Israel. Out of you, this little city, this unknown, least expected Bethlehem Ephrathah will come the one who will restore and heal and bring peace and be the mighty ruler, not just in Israel, but over the entire world. And he will not just be a man. He will be the one who has come forth from of old, from everlasting. And so out of Bethlehem will come the unexpected. Out of Bethlehem will come glory from this little seemingly unknown place. Now, when you look at this pattern, you think, wow, I can, I can certainly relate to this. I think we all can. In our own life, we know we have walked in rebellion. God promises restoration when we repent and come to him. And then Jesus is born into us as he was born into Bethlehem. And God begins to work in us, the most unexpected people on the planet to be used by God. Amen? You, you are that unexpected because you're not all that. Hello? You were not in the yearbook of God most likely to be a Christian. Ain't nobody like that. I don't care how good you are, how cool you think you are. Ain't nobody like that. We're all born sinners. None of us expected to become a follower of Jesus Christ and used by Jesus in our life. To have him formed in us. To have him birthed in us. To be recognized because he came into us as he came into Bethlehem. But now you can't hear the name Bethlehem without thinking of Jesus. It was not that way before. And maybe you're like me, you think, man, I want that. I want to be like Bethlehem. I want to have the fullness of Jesus in me and this ruler king to be seen from me. Amen? To know that he is in me, but he is doing something through me so that I might see not just in me, but in my, my personal life, in my family, in my community, and even in my nation that I might be used 
to show others his glory. I know you want that, right? You want to be used by God and your family to be a light and hope because all of us have people in our family that don't know the Lord. Amen? All of us have people in our family that maybe they say they know the Lord, but they're not walking with the Lord. And you hurt for them. You think, oh God, could you use me? Is there a way you could use me in their life? Could, could you speak to them? And Lord, I'd be, I'd be happy if I was that place, if I was that one, that that happened. God, if you could, if you would just use me, I, I want to be used by you. God. I want to be used in my community. I want to be used in my church. I want to be used at work. I want to be used in my, in my state. I want to be used even in the nation if I could be so bold, God. I know that's our cry, but I also know what gets in the way sometimes. It is a very simple sentence. It's a very powerful belief. And it goes something like this. God, I want to be used, but I'm not blank enough. Fill it with whatever you want. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not faithful enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not bold enough. And the thing is, there's some truth to all of that. Because none of us are enough in and of ourselves. That's important. Because I think we might have I think we have done a disservice to this generation that has grown up in our day. Because here is a line that we have told our children. You're enough. You are loved. You can do anything you want. You're enough. Sounds right. But what happens is that child grows up and if he doesn't hear you're enough when Jesus fills you. You're enough because of who Jesus says you are. You're enough because you have followed Jesus. If they don't hear that, what they hear is, I'm enough. I should have things go my way. And when things don't go my way, guess what this generation has done? You blame everybody else for it not going their way because they were told, you're enough. And so what has happened is they're blaming every social institution. It's their fault. I am the victim here because I am enough. It should have worked out as I wanted it. And I will just listen to my urges and I will make them my identity because I am enough. Everybody told me that. The most important people in my life told me that. God help us for not telling them that they're enough when Jesus is in them. God help us for not telling them they've been created by God, but they have a Savior who's come to redeem them. And when that Savior is in you, then you are enough. God help us for telling them 
as sinners, they're enough. Does this make sense? And so there's a part of this that is true. There is a place to say, I am not enough. I am weak. I am incapable. I was born a sinner. My ways are not God's ways. His ways are higher than my ways. That is a necessary thing to believe. But here's the deal. This statement of I'm not blank enough is also a line of the enemy. Because he wants you to now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, believe this lie still. That that redemption, that faith, that belief that you have that he has saved you, redeemed you, and made you whole, that you're still really not enough. You couldn't be used by him. You're not, you don't have enough faith. You can't believe. You can't be used by him. You're not talented enough. You're not popular enough. You're not righteous enough. And the enemy just keeps on whispering those lies. He doesn't just whisper them. He shouts them. Because if he can keep you in your seat from ever trusting God to do great things, then he's won. So it's, Partly true apart from, or it is true apart from Jesus. It's a lie of the enemy, but it actually is the doorway to having God work in your life. You see, here's what God does. God gives us a calling that is greater than our ability. Always has, always will be. You shall be holy because the Lord is holy. Can anybody in this room be holy enough on your own? No. Walk in righteousness before me. Can anybody in this room walk in perfect righteousness on your own apart from Christ? Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Can any husband do that apart from Christ? Wives, love your husband in the same way the church loves Christ. Can any wife do that apart from the power of Christ? Be the salt and light of the earth. Be the ambassadors of reconciliation. Speak the truth in love. You are the pillar and the ground of truth. Can anyone do that apart from the power of God in your life? No, we cannot. God will always give a calling that is greater than our ability. He will always call you to something you cannot do on your own. He doesn't look at your ability and say, you know what? They're so talented and boy, are they faithful. Boy, are they humble. Boy, do they like to pray. I think I'll call them. It does not work that way. God chooses the least so that he can do his greatest. And there will always be this gap right here. A great gap between your calling and your ability. Now, this is what's sad is because a lot of us look at this gap right here and we say, well, 
I just could never, I could never raise to the occasion. I could never do that. And people end up getting discouraged, depressed, and they dismiss the calling because they say, I can't do that. Is that true? Yes. Is that where you need to live in that? No. What should happen is not not for us to look at the gospel, look at the scripture, and look at our calling and ever say, well, I can't do that. Therefore, I'm going to dismiss it, deny it, be discouraged about it, be depressed about it, and just go through some motions for the rest of my life. No. What ought to happen when you see the calling of God and your inability to reach it is that you totally depend on him to fulfill the calling in your life. To bring you to the place where you say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it in myself. I can't raise these children on my own. I need your strength. I can't be the wife, the husband, the family member. I can't minister. I can't serve. I can't do any of that, God. So I fall down on my knees before you and I cry out to you for the strength and the power to do what you've called me to do. And when any person does that, he makes up the gap. He fills it up and he causes you in your weakness to become strong. And then you're able to do those things and you get to the end of the week and you get to the end of a year and you look back and you say, I don't know how in the world this came to pass. And you'll follow that with, yeah, I do. The Lord brought it to pass. And you don't look back at, the, at 2023 and say, I did pretty good. You look back and say, Lord, you did exceedingly abundantly above all that I could have asked or think. That's what happens. So this becomes the actual doorway into seeing God do his greatest work in our life. And the people that I know that God has used in powerful ways, they've come to this place where they say, I depend fully upon the Lord. I bow my heart, my knee, my strength, my everything to him. Because to the one who will do that, to the one who will depend on the Lord completely, then this scripture comes to pass from the New Testament. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient. And so God chose the little town of Bethlehem, insignificant, unexpected, least likely, and from that little town, came the ruler of Israel and the king who will reign over all eternity. And what did Bethlehem do? All Bethlehem did was have him born inside. 
And from Bethlehem, the king came. In your life, whatever the area is today that you're saying, I don't have the strength. You're right, you don't. But be careful. Don't listen to the enemy who'd want you to live in that and say, you can't, you can't, you can't, and you never will. No, you respond back and say, I once was a sinner, but I have been redeemed. I've been made sufficient in Christ, and now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be the husband he's called me to be. I can be the wife he's called me to be. I can be that servant of God to do what he's put in my heart. I can do whatever he has put in front of me. Yes, the calling is greater than I can do in my own strength, but boy, I trust in the one who has called me and made me and redeemed me, and he will bring it to pass, amen? Now, can you imagine a church who lived in this reality? There would be so many demonstrations of his power and miracles in our life. And that's what we've seen in 2023 here. And I'm convinced more is coming. Because we are a people, you are a people who desire this. God, use me. I am Bethlehem, the least likely. But born in me is the king of kings. And through me, he will show his power and strength. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you again that your ways are not like our ways. And that when we humble ourselves, when we cry out to you, when we trust in you, you take the places that are filled with guilt and shame and sin and you heal, you cleanse, and you restore, and you make righteous, and then you fill us with your spirit and power to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So God, I thank you for that. And I pray, even during this holiday season, that our hearts would be drawn to the manger, that we would be Bethlehem. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.